Well, we are in 1 Kings chapter 3. It was not that long ago we covered this. We're trying to cover from a little bit of a different angle than we did before. But um, a little over a year ago, we were in on 1 Kings chapter 3, talking about Solomon back when we were doing our wisdom series. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Now, just a sentence that's in there. I'm sure there's a whole lot more to it. Why in the world are you making a treaty with Pharaoh? Why does, what's, the, what's the purpose of it? What do you, why do you need that? Are you afraid that they're going to come on down and, and do something to you? Or, I, I just don't know what it is. I don't know what his motivation is. No, that I can find, there's no motivation for why Solomon does this. And then we're marrying a, a, an idolatrous woman, woman, probably. Now, maybe she got born again. Or, you know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but we know that Solomon's heart was carried away. But this one doesn't apparently carry him away yet. It's, it's a little, well, little ways into the future yet that his heart gets carried away. So um, this one isn't enough to do it. But how many wives are you supposed to have? Now, if you're a king, how many wives are you supposed to have? One. Huh. The number doesn't change? Really? I don't think Solomon got that memo because he has a lot more than one. So did David. David had a few more there as, as well, but um, not what you're supposed to be doing. But he made a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, married Pharaoh's daughter, brought her into the city of David, and he finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. So he's in the process of building this. It's, it takes a while. They, they didn't just uh, build this, and six months later, there it was. They, uh, they had a project here, and it took some time. Meanwhile, while uh, they were still building all this, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, the high places, this whole practice got started because you know, back, back in the patriarch days, when God did something, they'd build an altar there in the mountain somewhere, and they'd start worshiping God, and that's how it got started. When um, Moses came along, got the law, God says, all right, no more of that stuff. <laughs> Don't just be building altars wherever you want to. We're going to build, this is where you're going to do the sacrifices. This is where all this stuff is going to go on. Uh, no more. But they had already fallen into that habit. They already learned from their, their fathers, you know, well, Abraham built an altar here, and Jacob, he built an altar here, and and so they just kept building altars in different high places. And it wasn't a high place to worship idols. It was a high place to worship God. But God says, I don't want that. But, you know, some habits are, are tough to get out of. Just like, um, like we have today. You know, sometimes we, uh, we've fallen into the habit. Some of the churches that we grew up in, we've fallen into the habit that the uh, way that you worship God is to sing hymn number uh, 405, <laughs> verses 1, 2, and 4. And that's not exactly <laughs> worship either. And we can, we, we have things that we even do in prayer. And we fall into habits. And sometimes it's hard for us to get out of those habits. But we need to. So we can sit here and look at these guys and say, why are they still doing that? Well, why are we still doing some of the things that we do? Why are we still begging God in prayer? Why do we still take more than one or two sentences to ask God for something? <laughs> There's, there's no reason for it. If you're going to ask God for something, then ask him. Put him in remembrance of his word if you want to, but just ask him. Father God, I know from your word you promised me this. Thank you for that I can receive that. And that's it. But what do we do? Well, God, I've been working hard for you. God, I've been suffering long on this thing. 
trying to say, talk God, you know, God, please take this out of my midst. Please take this away from me. We're missing it. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, there was provision when there wasn't a house for the Lord built because when Exodus was given and the law was given, there was still no place uh, like a temple to be built. So there was, there was a place to set up. Well, it's still set up. They're still, still supposed to go there, but they're not doing it. Because, you know, Jerusalem, it's a long way away. It's not convenient. Have to, you know, we gotta gotta hitch dump the donkey and load all the stuff, get on down there. And well, I just don't have time to take off from work right now. And all the different excuses will come up. Meanwhile, the people sacrifice at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places, which is kind of odd because. Um, He's at Jerusalem, where he's supposed to sacrifice is where? He's at Jerusalem. So he has to actually leave Jerusalem to go to the high places. But I guess maybe he had a favorite high place. Maybe he liked the scenery. Maybe he felt closer to God there. Whatever it might be, it's not what God said. And... Uh, yeah, sometimes I th- we, th- we think about that. We, I hear uh, different people that I listen to during the, during the week, and they talk about some of the worship songs, and they'll pick out, you know, a worship song. Oh, I like that worship song. They start picking it apart. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, you realize that's, that shouldn't be in there. But, boy, I like that worship song. <laughs> have you ever had that? You have a worship song, and, boy, you like that. I mean, it's just a great tune, and, it's just, and you think of it, and it says, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's, we're not singing the right stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all right, I guess I won't sing that. But I like that worship song. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. Well, we got to sometimes drop some of those things. But it says that Solomon loved the Lord, walked in all the statutes of his father, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place there. And I have all kinds of extra stuff at this one. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you, and I have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of your father David, instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Great prayer. Really shows the the heart that he had there. This is when he was at Gibeon. God appeared to him. Now, is he supposed to be at Gibeon? Is he supposed to be making these sacrifices at Gibeon? But God shows up at Gibeon. Yeah, just because God shows up doesn't mean you're doing the right stuff. Too many times, though, people think, well, I was, I was doing this and doing this, and God moved, and so I'm going to keep doing that. And if you come up to him and say, you're not supposed to do that. Well, God moved when I did this last time. Yeah, you can't be taught some things, and you need to be. If you go over to First Chronicles 16:39 and 21:29, you will see that the tabernacle and the bronze altar were at Gibeon. So that's why it's one of the more uh, higher high places or more favorite high places. 
these things were, were out there. Put in your outline that, uh, at least I think I put in yours, how to cut out some stuff. Even though God meets us at the place does not mean God wants us in the place. God will meet you all kinds of places. doesn't mean he wants you there. But he uh, needs to get to you, needs to still talk to you, needs to help you out. Now notice what God says to him. What shall I give you? He does not say what he wants. He says, what shall I give you? There's a little bit of a difference there, isn't it? So Solomon thinks about it, and he decides, I need to be equipped to do what it is that I am in a position to do, more so than the things that he would want personally. I mean, maybe he was asking, he'd like to ask for a Ferrari, you know, get one of those little, get something like that in there. And But no, he didn't ask for that. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for the lives of his enemies. So God says later on, could have asked for all these things, but he didn't. You asked to be equipped to do the job that you're doing. Tell you what, if we would just learn that if we would be better equipped to do the job that we're called to down here, riches and honor would follow. Even if not as much in this life, certainly in the one to come. And that's where it matters. Because whatever riches and honor we get in this life, I'm going to carry over. So I put in your outline this, Solomon's response shows his humility his foresight, and his desire. He was humble in that he didn't think, I am all that, I am king. He says, man, I don't even know how to go out and come in. That's humility. His foresight, he sees, I just took this position, but I'm going to be called on to do some things, and I need to do them right because people will suffer if I don't. And it showed his desire. His desire is to be a good king and to do what God had called him to do. The best that he could. Now compare that to his brother's attitudes. Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. I made a note on this. The difference in these men, these guys thought they could do something of themselves apart from God. Solomon sees, if I'm going to do anything lasting, it's going to be with God. But all these other guys thought they could do something apart from God. They may have been followers of God, but they still saw that they could. They could do something apart from him. Solomon's motivation for the request is the people. That's what moved him to make this request. It was not his needs. It was not himself. It was the people. In James 4, 3, it says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. We've got to make sure that when we ask things, we ask with the motivation of what is good for the kingdom. So God gives an answer. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any, any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of your days. Before we go any further than this, catch the heart of God. God is not stingy. Too often, folks, we are, our prayers are to a stingy God. God, if you can just spare this. God, if you can just do, could you just, just please take this away? To, if you could just do... Do this. 
And we just, you know, just a small thing. I don't want to trouble you. I don't want to be burdensome to you. Mm -mm. I think it was Alexander the Great who when um, had a daughter. I think he had a daughter. I think it might be wrong on who the king was. But anyway, um, someone came and asked for her, her hand in marriage. And, um, uh, you know, when you, when you have a, a daughter, you have to give away a dowry back in those days because so, they're taking on the responsibility of your daughter to take care of her for the rest of the time. So there was a dowry that came along with it. And so they asked, you know, what would you ask for for the dowry? And this guy asked a bunch. Yeah, it's not enough. You're getting the king's daughter. You want all this stuff too? And the king was actually honored by the request. It was a huge one, huge dowry he asked for, and he was honored by it. He says, this man honors me by asking these things because he knows I can do it. Sometimes, folks, we don't honor God by asking him. We, we dishonor him because we think, you know, you're stingy. You probably won't want to give me a whole lot. That's not our God. God gives liberally. So God says, I'm going to give you what you asked for, and I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for that you could have. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. I think this is interesting to note. He's in Gibeon. He gets met by God. And then he comes back to Jerusalem to make the sacrifices where he's supposed to make them. He knows better. (laughs) He knew what he was supposed to do. He could have just stayed there at Gibeon and offered sacrifice. He didn't. He said, you know what? I need to clean this up. And he came on back to the place he was supposed to, back to where the ark was. Should have done that before. Then we come to the most famous story. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had borne. And the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king, and the king said, So he's going to give his, his decision. Understand about, <clears throat> about this story. This did not just happen. This happened some time before, probably a length of time before. Who were they before? The king. That's like coming to the Supreme Court. How hard is it to get your case heard by the Supreme Court in this country? It's, it's not easy, is it? it? What do you have to do in order to get to the Supreme Court? You've got to go through the lower courts first. And after you go through one lower court, you get up to the next court, up to the next court, up to the next court, up to the next court. Up to the ne- you keep moving up in the court, and then the higher court has to hear the case to see if they're going to take that case to begin with, Solomon is not Moses. Moses sat at the judgment seat and judged all the people. That's not Solomon. Solomon is, he's got his, the court system is set up. 
Moses took care of that with Jethro's advice. And they've probably been following ever since then. But we don't hear David being up on the phone judging people all the time. But this case made it all the way to Solomon. But it had been brewing for some time. And the lower courts had, had bumped it up and each one heard it and said, well, I need, to, I need to find out what's going on with this thing. And so the next one comes on in and comes on in. And, uh, and you, could, you could make an argument both ways on this thing. I mean, how is it that you don't wake up when your son's being pulled that way? I don't know how that happens. You know, my wife used to tease me when uh, she had the C-section, you know, Christian was, uh, was born. And so, you know, she doesn't get up in the middle of the night to take care of him. If he needs to have attention, I know what how to get up and, and get him because she couldn't get up and lift him out and all that sort of stuff. So I had to, she would tease me because, you know, if he just whimpered, man, I bounced up. All he had to do is just whimper a little bit. I'm out of the bed. Checking him. He's, he's, he's all right. He's all right. <laughs> but she teased me on that one. That's all I had. All he had to do was just whimper. And uh, how is it that uh, someone can come into the bed, pull this child out? Well, you know, they're single moms, and so you've got to do everything. You know, you've got to raise your, you've got to do whatever your job is. I guess, you know, they're, they're harlots. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. just <laughs> <laughs> going to tell you what their, their job is. But, um, you know, whatever their job is, you're still, you're, you're working, you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're doing all this. You have no husband to rely on. You're doing everything. And it could just be you get to a place where you're just totally exhausted. And nothing stirs you. So much so that the one woman laid on top of her baby and didn't even realize that she had suffocated the baby. So you can go all kinds of ways on this thing. And they probably had all through the courts. I mean, Solomon probably gets, here's what this judge saw. This is what this judge wrote. I don't know if they have the same thing that we have on ours where they write the the summary afterwards and they... Uh, they, they give all that stuff out. I don't know if they do that on you know, on here, but surely something came back from the lower courts and he got the chance to read these things and he knew how complicated this thing was and what other people had done to try and resolve this thing and still it was not resolved. And it came all the way up to here. I think it's amazing though that they paid this much attention when it involved two women who were harlots. I, that's... That just that shocks me that they would take these two people and bring them before the king to begin with. But they did. However it was. There they are. So the king says, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. The other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. All right, so we only got two witnesses here. One was asleep. So he says, I'll tell you what, bring me a sword. So they brought the king a sword. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. He's basically, he's basically taking the attitude like this. Look, I don't want to be messing with this thing. Let's just kill the kid. Divide him up. You both get part of him. And let's go on. I got more important things to do. And so they may be thinking, he may be giving off this air, this attitude. I got more important things to do than be messing with your kids. You guys do whatever you want to. I mean, I just get this thing out. Let's kill the kid. They're both dead. And we got the right one dead. And he probably gave off that attitude. So much so that the, the real mom was panicked. Divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king. For she yearned with compassion for her son. The king said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. 
But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Now, I think if you were in the room, you would see his entire countenance change. And he would go from an uncaring king who just wants to get a matter out of his way to the point where he says, Yeah, I knew this would expose you. You're the real mom. And they saw the heart of a loving king. And I think that's what shocked the people in the room. They expected the first attitude. Why would the king even care? about this. He's got much more important matters than this one. But when they saw that, they said, wow. <laughs> he, got to the, he got to the core of this, this whole thing. Verse uh, 25, 28, And all, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Mm-hmm. It's not that they were concerned about that the child was preserved or that the child went to the right mom. They were amazed that Wow, you got right to the truth of the matter. And everybody else took how long? How long is this thing? They probably heard about this thing. It's been bouncing around in the court system for a little while. They have probably heard about it, and they probably even heard, hey, it's going to the king today. Yeah, I wonder what he's going to do about it. And when they heard, the king took care of the whole matter. And the real mom was found out. How did he do that? Well, he did this. And then this happened. And they all said, wow. They're they're more amazed at his methods than anything else. And the fact that justice was brought about here. Whatever we receive from God will be tested or basically put to work. If you received a gift from God, if you received a calling from God, if you received a talent from God, Whatever it is that you have received from God, it will be tested. If you receive a healing from God, it will be tested. If you receive a blessing from God, it will be tested. We only get this down. Whatever we receive from God, it will be tested. Jesus in the New Testament even promised us that with, the, um, with prosperity, with the blessings that come, so too will come persecution. Whatever you get from God is going to come along with some test. And it's going to be put to work. You have not been blessed. You have not been given things by God to just let them sit there. There's a purpose for them. We are not giving gifts just to be good at something. We're giving gifts to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. What we need to do is make sure we take that gift that God gave us and work within it. Stay within the gifting that we have. Utilize our gift. Maximize it. Put it to use. And understand that when we do, it will be tested. People will come along. The devil will come along. Whatever it is, they will come along and they will try and test whatever gift that you got. Is this for real? How confident are you in this thing? Put this in your outline. People do not hinder you from using your gifts. There are many people in the body of Christ that say, well, I have a gift for this, but no one uses me for it. Well, I have a gift of prophecy, but no one wants to listen to me. Well, I have a gift of exhortation, but nobody lets me speak. A lot of time people feel like they have these gifts. Word of God teaches us that your gift will make room for itself. 
A lot of people think they have a gift, but they don't really have it, or they haven't developed it. I put in your, your outline here um, four hindrances to your, your gift. We hinder our gift from being used by being four different things. First off, uncertain. A lot of people are uncertain about what their gift is. If you go out to a lot of Christians and say, what is your gift? What has God gifted you with? What has he given you? He gave Solomon wisdom. If you come up to you, what has God gifted you with? Well, I don't know. Or we get that false humility. Well, nothing really. I'm not real good at anything. That's not false humility. That's, that's saying God is, hasn't done anything for you. God hasn't done his word. That's not right. You're uncertain. You ought to become certain about what it is. Find out what it what, become. I know that this is what it is. And so become certain about what your gifting is. Next one is unsure. Unsure. All right, I know my gifting is, but I just don't know. Is, am, I, am I really being effective? Am I really able to be used? And you get into that place and you start utilizing that gift and you're unsure of yourself. You're unsure of the gift. Uh, David, when he was before Saul and he was going to go out to Goliath, he uh, put his armor on him. And David says, you know, I've never tested this stuff out. He's unsure in that armor. I can't go out here and fight this guy on stuff I've never really done anything with. Can't do it. People are in the body of Christ are unsure about their gifts. And they feel like being unsure just shows my humility. It's not. You need to become sure of what your gift is and walk in it. Whatever that is. This is my gifting. This is what I, God has called me to do. And do it. They're uncertain. But what it is, they're unsure in just in using it. Undeveloped. We're not developing the gift of God that he gave us. If you understand that you have a gift that God gave you, are you developing it? Are you putting it to work? Are you doing the things that are necessary or are you just kind of wallowing around in it? Undeveloped. Here's the fourth one. Unusable. God has gifted you, but you're so carnal... No one can stand you. Ever hear people, I, I, I hate this when they, when they say it. Well, that's just the prophet in me coming out. Ever heard that one? Talk about why they're being obnoxious. Why they're just speaking, they're just speaking the truth, you know. Well, that's just the prophet in me. No, that's just your flesh. You're just being rude and obnoxious. That's not right. And you can become unusable. Samson had a great gift from God. And it was unusable for most of the time because of his flesh. He didn't get anything near done that he should have been, been doing. There's a lot of people in the Bible had a gift, never saw it utilized to the full place where it should have been because of their flesh. Eli had two sons. They could have been high priests, but their flesh caused them to get put out. Uncertain, unsure, undeveloped, Unusable. Unusable. Paul had a gift. He didn't know what it was. And he had put himself in a place where God couldn't even use him. And God says, I'm ready to wipe you out. <laughs> you better get right. Why are you doing this? What you'll see here is God gave him wisdom to take care of a situation that involved two people that are in a profession that God does not like, who had babies in a way that God does not like. But God still cared about the women, and he still cared about the babies. 
God cares a whole lot more than we think he does. Before we talked about this before, we talked about how will we solve this today. If we were, if we were approached with this, how will we solve it today? Well, we would get a DNA sample of the mom, and we would get a DNA sample of the other mom, and we would get a DNA sample of the baby, and we would do all of our tests, and we would come up with, well, it's obviously this one. What would happen? In the, how long would that take? Because it's not like CSI where you get the results back in five minutes. <laughs> DNA tests take uh, a, a few days uh, to a couple of weeks. I forget what it is, but it's longer than it is on the show. Yeah. <laughs> on the show, you know, you, let me just, I'll be right back. <laughs> Come on back. Here it is. Here's your results. Here's your whole printout, all that sort of stuff. And now that's not quite how the DNA works. So it would take us a, a while to do. What would happen to the baby in the meantime? Well, we put it in the in the state system, and I've just messed it up all kinds of ways. Yeah, and then of course we would be deciding, well, should we put this baby back into the hands of the mom? I mean, we look at her profession and look at and all these kind of. So what's uh, Solomon do? He takes care of this before any DNA tests are done. I'll tell you what, it's pretty good. God has some ways to get through some things. We don't need all the modern technology. God has ways to to get it done. So you put this part in your outline here too. Uh, whenever we make a request. There is an answer and a test. There's a request, there's an answer, there's a test. Three things. Whatever request we make, when we get an answer for it, that answer will be tested. So three blank lines that are on the same, same line there, if you wondered. There's a request, follows to an answer, follows to a test. That's how it goes. Too often, folks, we make a request from God, and some people don't even expect an answer. They just keep expecting to come on back and request and request and request. But no, we get a request, we get an answer. People come up and they make a request. God, I believe for healing in whatever, my back, my leg, my whatever it might be. And before the meeting's over, jumping up and down, mm-hmm. glory to God, I got healed. Mm-hmm. And then the next night they're back in, oh, my back's hurt. You know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, well, you're going to be tested. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think about that, you know, thank God it wasn't anyone from Zoe. When we had the meetings with Jay and Tammy, and the, the one gentleman who came up, he's coming up every night, pretty much for the same thing every night. Why? He didn't know <laughs> that when you make a request, you get an answer. Because how many times he was there? He, he, are you healed? Yeah, I'm healed. Yeah, I'm healed. Jumping up and down, glad for it. Come back the next night. Prayer for the same thing. Do you remember that? No foundation there. Whatever you make a request for from God, you will get an answer. And that answer will be tested. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. How, are you going to, how are you going to respond? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't take that on. Uh, just, just no tests are going to come. What is it that you want to do? I had this uh, to go on just, just this week. There was a, out of the blue, I don't even know where it came from. I came out of the shop and uh, I was taking care of it. My wife needed some things. I was taking care of it and my foot swelled up in pain. Holy cow. I mean, I couldn't barely even walk with it. It wasn't the, uh, it was my right foot. I don't have any trouble with my right foot. I was walking on that. Man, where did that pain come from? I don't even know what that pain is. I've never even had that pain before. And just that, just that week before, I was talking to one of the guys over at the running club. And he was telling me about his, uh, he had this particular pain. And so that, my mind immediately jumped back to that. You got the same thing going on that he's got. And I'll tell you what, it's probably the, the same type of pain that was going on. Because he was out there. He's a, he, he's a guy. He, he travels all over the country to do marathons. He went over to uh, Crater Lake. It's in some other state. I saw pictures of it. 
And the elevation on this thing, the up and down elevation is astounding. It is in the top 10 toughest marathons in the country. And he told me the elevation dropping and rising. I'll tell you what, it, it was something else. And he ran in this thing, and he ran in other marathons. He just, just loves running in marathons. He likes running in tough ones. He was up there when Christian did that, uh, that uh, big uh, race where you're going up the hill and, and carrying all the stuff, and he was up there doing that. Now, Christian did better than he did, <laughs> but he's up there doing that and, and going to town. And, then, and, and I saw he's up, uh, up ahead of me, just uh, maybe uh, uh, 50 feet, and we we're doing a run, and all of a sudden he turned, and he, he was heading back. He wasn't going to finish the route. And so I, I went up to him afterwards and said, how come you turned off? Oh, well, I've got this thing going on in my foot, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. It's just, you know, I'm barely able to run anymore. And uh, he was telling me all, all about that. That's where my mind went. As soon as, he was, as soon as that pain came up, I began to, came out, you're going to get that. I said, I am not. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> came right against that thing, and uh, it wasn't more than uh, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes later. Didn't even know what that pain was anymore. But see, we're, we're not accepting the, the fact that we're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. Whatever it is that you get from God is going to be tested. Daniel had the ability to, to interpret dreams. Well, he got tested. <laughs> interpret this one or die. <laughs> get the dream, interpret it or die. We're going to have some of those kind of things coming on. I'll put this in your, your uh, last part of your outline. Four things here. Four things. You can actually, if you want to, you can write these big in big letters, G-A-T-E, beginning for each one. This is the gate to get into these things. First off, understand you, just one word, gifted. You are gifted. God has given you a gift, maybe multiple gifts. The Word of God has gone over and over again. He's given you at least one talent. He's given you at least one ability. At least one. Some he gave five, some he gave ten. But he's given you at least one. Amen. You've got something. You need to know what it is. If you go buried in the, in the ground, that's not knowing what it is. It's not using it. You are gifted. Here's the second part. That gift needs to be anointed. Just because you have the gift doesn't mean it's anointed. Jesus had the gift, but then the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him. And things changed. You need to get that anointing. The gift that you have needs the anointing of God. You need to pursue the anointing on that gift. Don't pursue someone else's gift because you like that one better. What is your gift? And pursue the anointing on that gift. Here's the third. Tested. It will be tested. Or put it this way, it will be put to work. If you have a gift and it is anointed, it needs to go to work. You need to use it. Use it for the kingdom of God. Stay in the gifting. Stay in the anointing. But get it to, get it to go to work. Don't be afraid of tests. Every time that the devil threw a test out in the Old Testament with people, the people who were ready to meet up with it, what happened to them afterwards? That'd be our fourth one. Exalted. When you are tested and your gift and anointing comes through, you will be exalted. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. These are not in your outline. You can write them down if you want to. 
Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you inherit, to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. 1 Peter 5, and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God will exalt you. It's not bad to be exalted. It's a good thing. When Daniel was exalted, he was put in a position that he could do more things. When Joshua was exalted, he was put in a position he could do more things. When Moses was exalted, he was put in a position he could do more things. Same with Abraham. Same with Joseph. Same with so many others. Amen. Being exalted is not bad. But you've got to be ready to meet the challenge. When that day of testing comes, you need to be ready. Amen. That's why we spend so many weeks on getting ready for your training day. You need to get ready. Because when that day comes, and really when you think of it, it's not even a whole day. It's like 15, 20 minutes. Maybe an hour. That's it. Sometimes a little bit longer, but... It's not long. And you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. You are gifted. You need to pursue the anointing on that gift. When that anointing comes, when Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God, what happened to him next? He went out into the wilderness, fasted, and was tempted by the devil. You will be tested. And look at the temptations that the devil throws in them. If you are the Son of God. <laughs> Questioning that whole thing. What was the anointing when the Spirit of God came down? <clears throat> this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I was listening to somebody teaching this week and they brought up this point about it. God was pleased with Jesus before he did any work. <laughs> Isn't that good? We think God's going to be pleased with us because of the work we do. God says, in my son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Hadn't done anything yet. And yet God was pleased with him. Interesting, huh? But when the anointing comes upon your gift, the devil can't take away your gift. He can't stop you from being gifted. But if he can distract you from pursuing the anointing on it, he can keep that gift from being effective. But when that anointing comes upon it, he is going to come down and test you. Try and pull that thing off. Trying to get you to go in another direction. Trying to get you to, to go after other things. Don't do it. Stay with it. Hang on to what it is that God has gifted you to do. Don't let the flesh creep in. Don't become unusable. Keep that flesh out. You can have the greatest gifting in the world. And flesh out not be able to be used it. Paul was unusable by God. And look at the gift that was on him. That gift didn't just suddenly come on him. That gift had been on him. He just didn't pursue it. He didn't pursue the right anointing on it. But it was there, and God's ready to wipe him out. What gift is on you? Do you know what it is? Are you allowing the anointing of God to come down upon you? Are you pursuing it? When a test comes, do you back off? God wants to exalt us.
it's better for him, for his kingdom, if he can exalt those ones that are ready. Are you ready to be exalted? Are you ready to go through the gateway? Because God wants us, he needs more people getting through that gate, more people doing the things that are, that are necessary. How are we ready? Father, we thank you that you love us, that you have gifted us, that there's not a single one on the face of this earth that you have bypassed with a gift. And you desire that we use that gift for your kingdom. If we don't know what that gift is, Father, help us to understand, to become certain of what that gifting is so that we can develop it, become sure how to use it. We thank you, Father, that our flesh will not stand in the way, that we will become sanctified, useful for the Master's work. Our flesh can disqualify us from a very powerful gifting if we let it. Father, I thank you. We will stand up against it. That flesh doing the things to try and disqualify us. We will pursue after you to walk in love and have that anointing cover the gift that we have. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.